This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today, we have Nick Shevland on here, and he is a longtime Austin resident. He's going to tell us all about his experience investing in Austin, Texas, and why he thinks it's the best place to be. How are you doing, Nick? Hey, pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to talk about Austin and real estate in general. I know we've been meaning to do this for, for quite a while now, so I'm glad to finally link up with you. <laughs> Yeah, we're both busy. It was, it's hard to connect. I know we, we'd been trying for quite a few weekends there and stuff just kept coming up. Yeah, I know. I was doing a flip for a little while and then you were doing a flip for a little while and it was just hard to, to get together. But hey, here we are. There we go. So Nick, just tell us a little bit about who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing in Austin. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like you kind of mentioned at the beginning, I've been in Austin for quite a while since I was three years old. I'm, I'm 30 now. I uh, still have my W2, um, running a, a window tent company in, uh, in Lakeway in, in West Austin. I've uh, been in real estate for about, about three years now. Um, you know, I started out thinking that I was going to wholesale or be an agent, but it was just too, uh, it's just, I, I don't want to do a whole lot of deals. I want to do very, very good deals with big dollar amounts on them. So I decided I needed to get started. So I was going to go to a duplex house hack, which I have right now and is at the, at the moment, my only deal at the moment, but I uh, wanted to get into apartments. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I'm actively looking for my first apartment complex purchase. Awesome. No, I, I mean, huge fan of house hacking. That's what I do myself. I think it's a, just a phenomenal way to get started with, very low down payment and it can yeah. really just rocket you forward Absolutely. in the investing world. Yeah, it it still surprises me to this day how easy and how cheap it was to get into my first duplex house hack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I know I've talked about this before on this podcast actually, but I had $6,000 when I got started. I had to borrow a little money from my IRA and then as soon as I closed on the place, I had to borrow money from my father to do paint and carpet, just minor stuff. So I didn't have any money. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that just that first house hack made me 130 grand. So the oh, wow. results are not typical, but it, it can be a super powerful strategy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, mine was kind of the same story. I, I saved up for a year and, uh, and paid off about $7,000 in credit card debt in that first year was able to save up about $18,000. I mean, I was living on ramen and frozen veggies and got a roommate and just like, you know, downgraded all of my expenses significantly. Uh, just pinched a penny anywhere I could. But yeah, got uh, got my duplex. Had a little bit of money left over because the closing costs were uh, at the insane amount of $5,400. <laughs> So the, the money I had left over, I was just able to, to, to preload the checking and savings account for the house, which I, you know, collect rent and pay rent from and uh, maintenance and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, 
house hacking is, is by far my favorite uh, way to get into the business for sure. Yeah, and I think it's a phenomenal strategy for people in Austin. You know, Austin, you, you've been here, like you said, since 93. The cost of living has gone up a little bit since 93. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for a lot of people moving here that might be making, you know, 50 to 70,000 a year, it, it's a little expensive to live in Austin anymore. And if you can cut that housing expense in half, that's a big deal. Absolutely. So, Nick, you know, you said you've been here since 1993. Um, where were you born? I was born in Arlington, Texas, so oh. you know, kind of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Moved uh, moved here when I was three, and uh, I've loved it ever since. It's a hard city to move away from. Yeah, so you've, you've obviously, you know people other places. Um, you know, saying that Austin has gotten a little more expensive, and you just mentioned, hey, it's a hard city to move away from. But why have you continued to live and work in Austin? If you could go somewhere else, it may be cheaper. That's a question I get all the time is, hey, should I move to another market where real estate investing is cheaper? And I think there's a whole thing to unpack there, but. Yeah, so yeah, it's definitely gotten more expensive and it's continuing to get more expensive. Taxes are through the roof. Uh, but at the same time, the, the quality of life here is also getting better in a lot of ways. I mean. You always hear, yeah, it's it's expensive. The traffic's bad. Yeah, those are definitely true. But I mean, we've got events going on all the time. We've got two lakes. You know, we've got rolling hills and big trees, a ton of restaurants, the music scene. It's just, if you want to find something to do, there's dozens of things to do every single day. Even during COVID right now, I mean, I'm sure I could go find plenty to do. So, I mean, the quality of life here is, is really, really good. Um, it's, it's a little toasty during the summertime. Yeah. Um, uh, but we don't really have much of a winter. Um, uh, anytime I go out of state for the winter time, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, snow, ice, don't have to worry about that here. <laughs> so I think the coldest it gets here is about 30 degrees for maybe four days a, a year. So, um, yeah, Austin is just, it's a hard, hard city to move away from. Yeah. And even within Texas, you know, you drive up to Dallas in January. I made the mistake one year of driving up there with shorts and a t-shirt on yeah. and I got out of the car and I said, man, it's, it's way colder up here. So yeah, it, yeah, it, it really is. It's weird. Like, uh, my, my dad and my brothers live in the Dallas area and yeah, during the winter time, they'll actually get some snow and I'll be down here and it's like 40 degrees and bright and, and sunny, <laughs> you know, um, I actually kind of had that experience this past week. I was on a road trip just up through the Rockies and yeah. you know, it's, it's 105 here, uh, here in August. And I was thinking, you know, just, just to be safe, I'll take a pair of jeans and a, a long sleeve shirt. You know, and the first morning I wake up in Colorado, it's 46 degrees. I'm like, Oh my God. Oh wow. <laughs> so drop this. Yeah. It's, it's middle of summer. So <laughs> yeah. 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 And you know, you mentioned the rolling Hills and all the activities there are in Austin. Uh, personally, I love to hike and I can find a new hiking trail every weekend for long periods of time and always have something new and fun to do. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, the hiking scene is very big as, as well as the mountain biking scene here also. Yeah. So Nick, what attracted you to real estate investing personally? Um, so it started about three years ago. Uh, it's not a very entertaining story, but I, I literally just woke up one morning and decided I wanted to be smarter than my money 
I wanted to wake up each morning and be more wealthy than I was the day before. Uh, so naturally, that meant investing. I, I had no idea what investing really meant. I had to, I had to Google it. <laughs> um, so started to learn a little bit about real estate, investing, finance. I had to dig myself out of some credit card debt from you know, just blowing money in my early 20s, that sort of thing. Um, I was tired of paying other people's rent. Like you said, Austin is expensive. I mean, your average one bedroom apartment in Austin is about $1,000, give or take a little bit. And I was just tired of, of giving that money away. So, so I knew that I needed to invest in my own place. Um, and it would be even better if I had a tenant help pay me. So that's why I got the duplex. Um, but the thing I like the most about real estate is is you can scale it. It's very scalable. I mean, it, it is a business. You can put systems in place and build a, a team of, you know, agents or bankers, you know, virtual assistants, and they can help you get to your goals a lot, lot quicker. Um, it just, I, I think it beats the hell out of having a W2, you know? <laughs> so you, yeah. you don't get your time back. So choose it wisely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a you made a big point. Just time is what it really, I see everybody talks about all these different things, but what they're really talking about is, Hey, what I, I want control over my time, mm -hmm. what I do with my time and who I spend my time with. And you know, that, that seems to be the most important thing to most people you talk to, they're interested in some sort of financial freedom. I know for me, uh, it's time and location. You know, I want control over my time, which I pretty much have at this point in my life. And I want control over where I spend my time, you know, whether it be I have family all over the country, family in Dallas and San Antonio, Kentucky, Washington, Mexico, everywhere. So I, I like to have control over where I spend my time. And it all relates back to time is what I found for everyone. Yes. Time is the most important thing, I think, in the world. But it's funny a lot of the people that i ask you know like what what is rich to you not a single person has ever even mentioned money at all it's just you know having the, the time freedom you know but hey i want to i want to go do a little bit of traveling even if it's a road trip or i want to go hiking mountain biking i want to go learn how to wakeboard you know it's just there it's it's not the dollar amount it's having the time and the freedom to be able to go live that rich life yeah you did a little road trip recently, didn't you? I, I did. Um, it was a big road trip in a little car. <laughs> I, I've got a thing with taking massive road trips in vehicles that are not suited for the trip. So, yeah, last week, I, me and a buddy, we jumped in a smart car. We drove from Austin up through Colorado into, uh, into Utah. Uh, got to go check out the, the salt flats. Topped out a smart car at 93 miles an hour on that. That was uh, exhilarating. Uh, got into Nevada, Iowa. Uh, went, we went to Yellowstone. That was really cool. Up in Wyoming and, and Montana. And then basically just came all the way back down. So it was, uh, was 4,000 miles in six days on a smart car with two guys. I'm 6'4". I'm my buddy's 6'2". We had a couple backpacked. It was a, it was a very, very tight fit. Uh, but we made it happen, and it was, uh, as of today, still the best trip I've ever had in my life. And uh, I got back and had to, you know, 
see how much money I spent. We, we made probably 30 fuel stops and they were all like five, $6 a pop because these smart cars only have like an eight gallon tank and we would <laughs> fill up every half tank or so just to make sure we didn't get stranded. But, you know, it was like, that was an amazing trip. And I only spent about $750 on that. And we stayed at motels every single night. You know, we're obviously eating on the road, um, really just driving 10, 12, 14 hours a day, but it was, it was a blast. So, and 14 hours a day in a smart car yeah with no ac <laughs> oh, wow yeah it was a it was an experience but that's just uh that's just a tiny little trip compared to what i'm doing next year uh unfortunately got pushed out to next year due to covid but this year right now actually i should have been on a trip called the mongol rally where me and the same friend we drive a one liter vehicle from london down through southeast europe through the middle east into Russia, we end in Mongolia, and then drive all the way back. And the route that I have planned is about seventeen thousand miles, and should take us roughly three months. Oh wow! So, yeah, the trip from last week was nothing compared to that one coming up. I mean, we only speak English, no other languages. We're driving a one-liter vehicle in countries we literally never even heard of before. <laughs> so. That will be a true uh, experience of a lifetime for sure. Yeah, and you know, that's one thing I love about being able to house hack. So you don't have to pay your entire mortgage while you're gone on that situation. Exactly, yeah. So I've, I've got a wonderful tenant next door, uh, honestly paying above market rent, and she she's probably like the best tenant ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, when so if I'm, if I'm still living in this duplex when I'm on that trip, Basically, I can either rent this place out or you know, sign another year lease, a, a three-month lease, or I could even Airbnb. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the options are, are limitless. Uh, but yeah, the fact that I have a tenant paying, you know, over half of the mortgage, that that, that helps out a huge amount. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, do you mention that, you know, if you want, you can rent out your place the entire time you're gone and really have no expense related to the house. And most people can't do that. You have to pay your mortgage, you have to pay your rent, no matter what, if you're in the house. I did a lot of that in my first house hack. I would go places and I would rent out my room on Airbnb mm -hmm. while I wasn't there. And now I had a roommate and luckily he was okay with it, but there was always somebody in there, whether it be me or somebody else. And that really allows you to, to do what you want with your time as long as your job will allow you, you know? Yeah. So it, yeah, it's, it's cool that you said that. So if, if I'm on my trip and I rent out this side, I will actually be making $377 a month for not being here. So yeah. How many people can just go on a, a vacation and be able to make money from their, from their house? Not, not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome, man. You know, you absolutely, bottom line is you absolutely cannot do that when you're renting. Good luck finding somebody that's going to allow you to short-term rent your rental. Yeah. But then, you know, even if you've got a mortgage on a single family house, most people won't do it. So I think exactly. if you can get in the mindset to house hack, you really open up so many limitless possibilities for you. Yeah. And I mean, it's, this isn't my forever home, you know, uh, like I, I fully plan on moving to a different place every single year. Um, and I'm completely fine with that. I mean, that's just a small price to play or to pay for, for building wealth over the next, you know, few decades or so. Absolutely. <laughs> this is easy. I mean, it's my place. I can move on whenever I want, really.
Yeah, you know, and I just did that myself. So I have a, a house hack in East Austin. Um, moving into another house hack in East Austin, I stayed in the first one and met the requirements. So moving on to the next and actually I'm selling the first one. So you, know, you can do whatever you want with it, but you can continue to move up year after year for at least a short while. Yeah. And why not take advantage of that? Yeah. So did you, you said you lived out the requirements. So was that a FHA where you have to live in the property for 12 months? Um, yeah, I'm no lender, but it's the best of my understanding that you need to live in any owner occupied loan property for 12 months from the day that you move in. Right. So that could be conventional loan, could be VA, USDA, FHA, anything below 25%, 20 or 25% down. Just your intent is to buy as owner occupied property. And once you jump to that investor property, the down payments are much higher. So they're okay if you never live there, if you pay 25% down. Exactly. Yeah. But like you said, yeah, if you pay, you know, under that, that 20, 25% down, yeah, for the most part, you need to live there for a year. Um, but I think that's good. That gives you time to, to fix a place up, kind of get a game plan for your next, uh, next purchases. So excellent. Yeah. And even if you have it fixed up before you move in, you were going to find stuff that's wrong when you live in it for a while. So we're moving into this three bedroom duplex. Our unit's gonna be a three bed, one bath with a yard. So a nice living situation. Everything was remodeled. The siding, windows, kitchens and bathrooms, you know, literally everything was touched. HVAC systems, but I know we're gonna find issues after living there for a few months. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, every place, even if it was a rental, every place I've ever moved, you know, like. I, I find myself that first week making a Home Depot run. So, oh yeah, you'll, you'll find something. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. That's just part of the game. Um, so have you had any bad experiences in real estate investing at this point? Has it been as far as even just getting the first deal done? I know getting to closing can be a big, big deal a lot of times. Yeah. So I, I don't really believe in, in bad deals. Uh, I, I feel like every single deal you're gonna you're gonna learn from. So I, I think that makes yeah. it, it right there. I mean, obviously you don't want to go lose a whole lot of money, uh, but as long as you learned from that deal, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily consider it a fail or a, or a bad deal. Um, like I said, I, I only have the one property at the moment. I, I kind of pumped the brakes on buying properties at the moment because I I made a deal to myself that my next property has to be an apartment complex. Um, so like I said, I, I haven't had any bad deals. Um, I've done a lot of, of little things throughout real estate though. Um, I'd say the one thing I had no ROI on was direct mail marketing. <laughs> um, probably about two years ago, I decided I was going to do some direct mail marketing campaigns to find my first property. Uh, basically I just, I, I made a list of, uh, I think it was 211 properties. Uh, you know, I was finding these just just driving around, I was looking for, you know, looking down the street, seeing are there two mailboxes? Are there a ton of cars parked out front? That might be a duplex. I've, I've always been interested in duplexes more so than single family. Um, or, you know, just driving and seeing FISBO signs, you know, the, the for sale by owners or just for sale in general. Uh, I get on Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, you know, look at people's rental ads you know, grab addresses or emails, phone calls, you know, Hey, I'm not looking to rent, but I'm interested in buying. Would you consider selling? 
Uh, so I, I put a mailing list of 211 properties together. Um, I had no idea how much work that would be doing direct mail marketing when you're doing it yourself. It was ridiculous. I, I, I typed up uh, a letter, put it in like a handwriting font, which is still never all that great. I had a cool logo in there. It was, it was actually really, really well put together. And then I decided that, you know, these are going to be letters, not postcards. You know, I, I think I spent 12 hours just folding up these letters and stuffing them in envelopes. And then I had uh, some keychains from a good friend of mine, Matt Tyke. What's up, Matt? Uh, and his property management company. And we kind of worked out a deal like if I send him any properties to get under management, he would cut me in on this. So it's kind of like a two-in-one mailer, if you will. And then I was handwriting all of the addresses. And at the time I had a roommate and she had owed me just a, a little bit of money. And I decided like, hey, help me handwrite all of these addresses on a couple hundred envelopes and, and we'll call it even. So we did that for, for weeks and uh, mailed all those out. It was you know, it was, it was hundreds of dollars in stamps even, which I still have a ton of stamps left over. So I should probably do it again. Um, but yeah, sent those out, didn't get anything back, not a single phone call, email, anything at all. But it's kind of my fault because when you're doing direct mail marketing, you need to be hitting these properties multiple times. Don't just send out one letter. Cause I mean, most of the time that's just going straight in the trash and that's what happened to all these, you know? Uh, but, you know, two months, three months later, send out another round of, of letters and just stay on top of it. That way, you know, when these people decide that they want to sell or they're distressed and they need cash, someone to buy it quick, you'll be the first person that comes to their mind like, hey, I got to get out of this place. Oh, yeah, I just got a letter in the mail from an investor saying he wants to buy my property. So that would be my worst deal, but it's because I didn't do it properly. Um, you know, and I ended up finding my my duplex actually on the MLS for surprisingly a deal. So I, I didn't necessarily need those letters in general, but I did learn a lot from them. So I wouldn't call it a, a fail by any means. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, personally, I purchased all my properties off the MLS. Uh, the only direct mail, it was, it was just a letter. Success that I've had actually was a property I sold to my dad. Um, I sent this guy a letter. He called me a couple weeks later, but you know, like you said, normally for that to be successful, you need to do it over and over and over and over. And it's something like a 1% response rate. Even if you do it monthly for a long period of time to a lot of properties, um, I probably send out 150 to 200 a month. Yeah. I don't think I've gotten a call in a year because you know, frankly, right now, why would you sell your property to somebody off market? You know, yeah. everybody's got Zillow and everybody's got just ways to figure out roughly what their property's worth. And they can call a realtor or, you know, even just list it on first themselves on the Zillow or whatever and sell it for pretty decent price. So there's no free lunch. Um, like you said, I think I found most of my properties off the MLS you know, as realtors, we go hunt down stuff that's privately listed and we tell these people, hey, you know, I can take your property and I can get you more money than you're going to make as a for sale by owner. And I'm also going to make it so much easier on you. Um, so, yeah, just shoot fish in a barrel. Don't don't go out 
trying to find that unique one-off deal. You know, there's, there's always ways to make it easy on yourself and whether you're a seller or a buyer, you know, consult somebody that's going to help you with that rather than trying to do it on your own. Um, not dogging direct mail. Direct mail can absolutely work. You just need to do a lot of it consistently for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100, 200, you know, at a time that, that doesn't really work these days. You hear five years ago, maybe, but more so these days, you, you hear about people sending out, you know, 2,500 a month and that mm-hmm. gets very expensive very quickly. <laughs> so. Yeah. You're looking at two grand a month or so to do that. You know, it's anywhere from what's a stamp 48 cents now or something. Um, something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it adds up in stamps alone. Yeah. Yeah. Stamps in your time. Uh, yeah. yeah, it can work, but if you're going to do it, do it consistently, do it to a fairly large area and just make sure you hit them over and over and over. Um, what's one thing you think newer investors should know or people that they want to get into house hacking. So, you know, you've had good experience house hacking. If somebody's a lot of the people listening to this and a lot of people that I talk to want to get into house hacking, what would you tell them? Yeah. So, um, get your, get your finances in order. Know what a deal actually is. A lot of people have no idea what a deal is. They just contact an agent and say, send me a good deal, um, without any context. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, what does that mean? So you need to, to define what a deal is to you. Uh, you need to know your market, your numbers and start, start thinking five years down the road. So don't, don't worry about making money on your first deal because chances are you're not. Uh, unless you hold it for that 30 years, uh, which even then, you know, not going to be making a, a ton of money. Um, so don't, don't focus on the money on your first deal. Focus on putting together systems and focus on, on systems that you think that you'd be using five years from now. So, um, you know, don't, don't, don't use like scratch paper to write all your notes on, you know, start getting some CRMs in order. Uh, start piecing together your team, your network, uh, a business plan even. So don't, don't think rich right now, think rich 10 years from now and put proper systems in place to get you there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice. And yeah, when talking to a real estate agent, you know, absolutely. If you come in and say, Hey, I just want a good deal. I always tell people, Hey, a good deal to me, might not be a good deal to you and vice versa. So absolutely. You know, what do you want? What kind of property and what area, what kind of rehab work are you willing to take on? You know, how many beds, how many bathrooms, just general price ranges. You need to know what a good deal looks like yourself. And my, everybody asks, what do I do first? Just start analyzing deals. Look at what could work, what might work and what absolutely doesn't work. Most are not going to work, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, the agent is not the first person you need to contact. Honestly, that's, that's your lender. Uh, you need to see yeah. what you're fit for, you know? Like everyone wants to go out and get that, that $400,000 house with the four bedrooms and three baths and the pool. You might only be worth two fifty, you know? So don't, don't waste your agent's time looking for stuff like that when you, you can't pull it off. Um, plus, you know, yeah, you need, to, you need to figure out what a good deal looks like. Um, a piece of advice that, that I went on, which is, uh, something that Brandon Turner from bigger pocket said was 
you know, before you know what a good deal is, you, you probably need to underwrite or, or analyze a hundred of those first. So what I did is I'd get on Zillow or realtor.com and I'd find these properties just to get, you know, the, the numbers on them. And then I would start to do the calculations to see, okay, what is this actually going to look like on paper? What's the NOI on it? What, what am I actually going to make on this? And what's it going to be worth, you know, 30 years from now when it's actually paid for? What are taxes like? All that. So yeah, I, I, I did hundreds of those before I bought my first deal. Um, and it, that, that really helps you understand the area that you're in and what area you might want to buy in and what areas are just absolute junk. Um, so like even to this day, I know North Austin and West Austin really, really well, as well as Round Rock. So, I mean, for the most part, you can tell me a street or a zip code, uh, some just absolute basics about what the house is. And I, I kind of know ballpark what that house is going to be worth without ever seeing a single picture, without going there, without seeing a Zillow ad. Um, so it really helps you to understand, you know, what a property is worth, what the rents are even. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Know, know your numbers. Yeah. And I really liked your advice there of, Hey, talk to a lender first, because I talked to a lender years before I ever bought my first property because they said, Hey, your credit is terrible. Here's what you can do to make it better. And here's what you're going to be able to qualify for if you do do that. But right now you're only qualified for this. So talk to a lender way before you're even thinking you're ready to go out there. Because there may be a laundry list of things you need to do to be in the best position to go buy. Yeah. And when you're house hacking, that can mean the difference between buying a decent duplex in a decent area and making great returns to really having to buy something 45 minutes, maybe an hour outside of town that needs just a, a tremendous amount of work and, and isn't the place you want to be. The rents are super low. So talk to your lender first. Absolutely. Yeah. So Nick, it sounds like you, you do a lot of continuing education and try to learn all the time. What's your best mindset advice for people that are trying to get started in real estate investing? Um, well, mindset advice overall, I would say build equity in your life happiness. Um, I, I definitely like to go by the mindset of give to others. And, uh, and just by default, your life is going to improve, you know, from that. Um, mindset advice for real estate, you know, think, think long-term, I can't stress that enough. You know, people, they just, they, they want the Ferraris and Lamborghinis and mansions and stuff, you know, a couple of years down the road, that's, that's probably not going to happen. You know, think, think 20, 30 years out and, you know, work that in reverse. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's my best advice. You know, just think long-term. Awesome. And what's your favorite business or mindset book? So I love the long-term and the long-term thinking, but you know, where do you learn stuff like that? Um, man. Okay. I've got a really good book for this. Uh, shoe dog by Phil Knight, the story of Nike and how that came together. Um, it's a very, very long book. It's a, it's very entertaining. Uh, it's a very good read. I hate reading. I'm, I'm an audible guy all the way, but that book had my attention throughout the entire thing. Uh, it just basically shows you not only how he came up from a young age and, uh, developed Nike and, and later, you know, sold it, but, it shows you that a company as big as Nike, even in the 90s, had no money. He had no equity in his company. He was literally writing checks before he had the money for him. I mean, he would have to put out an order of thousands of shoes 
and, and basing it off of the sales of those shoes. So it was just, you know, have equity in your company, invest in your team and your staff, stay liquid, have lines of credit and just be an active uh, and leading member in your field. So whenever people, you know, like for instance, in real estate, whenever people want to buy a house, uh, you need to be the first person they think about me. They're like, okay, you know what? Uh, it's probably about time we need a house. But yeah, Jordan sells houses. I'm going to give him a call. That's who you need to be. Yeah, that's awesome advice. Um, I, I love Audible too. So I will, I will read a book and I, I, sometimes I will perceive it differently if I also listen to it. So many times if I really like a book, I'll download the Audible and then I'll, I'll listen to it later in the morning. So yeah, yeah, I love Audible. I, I really like the ones where it's actually uh, the author that narrates them too. Um, that's those are always more entertaining, and you know, a lot of the, the the narrators on Audible are just so boring and bland. But when it's the author, they actually put a little bit more, a little bit more pizzazz in it, if you will. So yeah, I love Audible. I, I listen to uh, in my line of work. I can just basically zone out for. <laughs> nearly the entire day so i listen to uh i'd say on average six to nine hours worth of content every single day so yeah i'm on podcast and audible non-stop so yeah i definitely get my money's worth out of those subscriptions for sure yeah yeah no i i, I agree the narrator that that does especially a lot of the older books all the older finance books not super exciting to listen to always. Yeah, the, I, I like those old school finance books. I mean, they're, they're tried and true. Um, yeah, me too. I mean, there's a ton of them out there. Yeah, Think and Grow Rich, you know, uh, any Napoleon Hill book, any Dale Carnegie books, all great stuff. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff right there. So, Nick, how can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you and ask questions? I'm super easy to get a hold of. Um, you can send me an email, nickshevlin at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, Bigger Pockets. Just Google my name, you'll find me. All right. And you know, last question, probably my favorite question here is what's your favorite restaurant in Austin? That's the hardest question. Are you kidding yeah. me? Um, just pick, pick one. Uh, man, there's so many. Um, all right, I'm going to give you five. Because uh, I'm an overachiever like that. So I really like Azul Tequila, uh, Mexican food restaurant. It's uh, like Mopac 2222 area, kind of okay. tucked away. Super, super good food. Uh, Zuzu's Cafe, another Mexican food restaurant right down the street from there. I really like Top Notch uh, Hamburgers in North Austin on Burnett. Uh, Dan's Hamburgers is really, really good on North Lamar. And uh, I've always been a sucker for... It's not an Austin company, but the Cheesecake Factory. I mean, if you've ever gone yeah. there and opened that menu, it's like 20 pages long. Uh, but, oh, that place is so good. So, yeah, I mean, I can't pick just one favorite restaurant in Austin. There's so many to pick from. And those are all just like north side restaurants. So <laughs> I could give you a list of probably 25 of them. <laughs> yeah, well, there's so many great restaurants. I ate at Zuzu's recently, and it's, it's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll put all that in the show notes, too. Um, hey Nick, thank you so much for coming on today. I know you know we're constantly talking on Instagram and other forms of social media like that. And I'm I'm sure we'll see each other here soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I had a blast and, and looking forward to you know listening to this when it comes out. <laughs> absolutely. Thanks, man. Hope you have a great day. Thanks. Take it easy.